0: Father, Lord, I thank you for the Sabbath day that you've given us, and Lord, as we study your word today, and as we try to become closer to you and vindicate your character, Father, I ask that you would bless us and help these not be my words, Father, because I am just a man, but help this come directly from your throne in heaven. This we pray in your name, amen. There was a man who had just gotten paid, and he went to the bank and he cashed his check, And right from the bank, he went directly to the local bar. And he went to the bar and he proceeded to spend the majority of his paycheck. He had a wife and two children at home. And as he spent the majority of his paycheck, he stumbled home and his wife opened the door and he looked a lot different than he had when he had left for work that morning. When he had left for work that morning, he had his boots on and he was... His shirt tucked in and he was ready to go. And while he was at the bar there that night, he had gotten in a little bit of a scuffle. And when he walked into his house, his hair was all messed up. He had blood on his shirt. His boots were scuffed up. His pants were torn. And he was in a drunken stupor. Quite a sight. And his wife took the remaining part of the money that they had. It was only like 20% of the whole paycheck left. They needed to buy food. The kids needed new shoes, they needed to pay the rent, whatever it may have been, but the wife decided to spend her that little bit of money that they had on something that might seem a little extravagant. The husband came home and sat down on the sofa, and the wife proceeded to call a professional photographer. The photographer came within a few minutes, and the wife had professional pictures of her drunken husband taken in the living room that night and she went to the store and got some of these photos developed and she blew up a big picture of her husband in his drunken stupor and in the state that he was in and she put it on the mantel place right next to their marriage photo there was the picture of them both him and his tuxedo looking dapper and sharp and a good husband and a good father And then next to that, the man who he really was in a drunken stupor. He, of course, knew none of this had happened. He woke up the next day, hung over, and he went to the living room and sat on the sofa. And as he proceeded to drink his concoction to get over his headache, he looked up at the mantel place. And what did he see? The picture. It shocked him a little bit because he had never seen himself like that before. And I think the wife's plan worked. You know, today when we take a look at the law of God, that's kind of what we look like as well, isn't it? The law of God is that professional photographer or that mirror that we know so well. And there's a man that we want to be, and there's a woman of God that we try to be, and we try to be a true Christian. But when we look at the harsh letter of the law, what do we find? That we fall short. And we see ourselves as who we really are. Today, we're going to be taking a look at a characteristic of God's last day people that's extremely important. I believe that we're living in the last days. What do you think? And because we're living in the last days, I want to be a part of God's last day people. And Revelation gives us very interesting facts on what these last day people are going to look like. And for many of you, this is going to be very familiar but I think it's worth going over just a little bit deeper today. If you would, go to the verse that our church was founded on in Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, the three angels' messages, these last day people that have a special message for the people of earth today. Revelation chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 6 revelation 14 starting in verse 6 and i saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth so i'm going to stop there the first characteristic of these people of god is that they have the everlasting gospel amen they don't have a false gospel but they have the pure biblical gospel that the bible points to each and every one of us amen and the gospel message is simple Christ crucified. But then that verse goes on to say and preach to every nation, kindred, tongue and people. God's last day. People are going to have the gospel message in their hearts and in their minds, Christ crucified. And they're also going to be so excited about that message that they're going to share it. Amen. And it continues to go in verse seven, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is in the future. Is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. This verse is saying that God's last day people are going to have a love for God. Amen. Praise the Lord. But then it also says that they would be proclaiming that the hour of his judgment isn't in the future, but the hour of God's judgment is now. And we know today that we are living, this is a big word, forgive it, in the antitypical day of atonement. Which means that right now in the heavenly sanctuary, this isn't our point today, but Christ is going over the record books and our names are before him. But as we continue on here, verse eight continues to show a characteristic of this church. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast in his image... And receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. And it continues to go on to tell the penalty of that. God's last day church is going to be preaching against spiritual confusion. Babylon is fallen. Come to the true gospel. Amen. But the last characteristic of this last day church is found in verse 12. And it's the one I want to focus on today. And you've heard this verse before. Here is the patience. We should be patient. Amen. Amen. I'm still working on that one, trust me. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the what? The commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. The next few weeks that I preach to you, and we read from the word of God together, we're going to be going over the Ten Commandments. But we're going to be going over the Ten Commandments in a little bit different way than I ever have before, and maybe you ever have before. We're going to look at these commandments one by one, and we're going to see that the Ten Commandments aren't just a list of do's and don'ts, but it's a guideline for how we can live a happy life, amen? We're not just going to look at the letter of the law, but we're going to look at the spirit of the law as well. Now, a lot of people, if they heard that your pastor was going to be preaching on the Ten Commandments would say your pastor must be a legalist. Legalism is something that simply means that we try to work our way to heaven by keeping the law of God. But we know that's impossible, amen? I believe that as we look at the Ten Commandments over here and we see grace over here, that the two go hand in hand, amen? The law of God and the grace of God are not antagonistic. An antagonist is somebody that, an antagonist, they butt heads, right? The law of God and the grace of God are not antagonistic. In fact, I believe, and I dare say, they are synonymous. Could it be that God's law is actually a law of love? And that's what we're going to be finding out today. How God's commandments are still valid for today. If you would turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 9. This is something that many of you are probably familiar with, but it's good to remind ourselves of this fact deuteronomy chapter 9 we find this, these 10 commandments in two places in the bible exodus 20 in deuteronomy chapter 5 deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 10 moses is here on mount sinai and when moses was given instruction to write the laws of god he wrote them down in the books of moses right we have the clean and the unclean meats We had the instruction for the sanctuary or for cleanliness laws, all those different things. But when it came to the Ten Commandments, did God let Moses write those down by his own accord? He didn't, did he? God was fine with Moses writing down all these other laws. But when it came to the Ten Commandments, God said, you come to me for those. And when Moses went to God, I envy him a little bit seeing this take place. But in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 10, this is what it says. And the Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone written with the finger of God. And on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. Whenever God does something with his hands, something important is happening. You think about the first instant in time that we see God doing something with his hands. That's forming Adam." That's forming Eve. God can speak things into existence. And we see this in Genesis. He said, let the dry land appear. There it is. Let there be light. There was light. God has the power to do that. And he could have done that to create Adam. But did he? When he created Adam, he got down and he formed him out of the dust of the ground with his own hands. That's intimate, isn't it? When he formed Eve he did the same and i believe that god also formed you to be who you are today when god does something with his hands he means it another place in the bible that we see god doing something with his hands is in babylon with belshazzar and we see the hand appear and words were written on the wall you remember this mene mene teklufarsen and did that prophecy that babylon was going to fall come true what do you think That very night, Babylon fell. When God writes something with his own finger, when God forms something with his own hands, he means for that to be around for a long time, wouldn't you say? And I believe that's the exact same thing that he is doing with the Ten Commandments. If you would, turn with me to 2 Kings. 2 Kings. We're going to be looking here at a story... As we study these Ten Commandments, I believe that we're not just going to see the Ten Commandments as a checklist of do's and don'ts, but I believe that the more and more that we study the Ten Commandments, the more and more we will get to know God's character. Would you agree with me? Second Kings chapter 22, we're going to find here a story. Israel at this time, of course, had been going on its up and downs with God and in second kings 22 the tabernacle or the sanctuary of god was a bit beat up it had been neglected there were holes in the wall the treasury was not very well funded the priests of god were neglected the whole church just needed repair and god chose somebody it's a very interesting character in bible in the bible but he chose somebody of a young mind and a young age josiah one of the best kings of israel In 2 Kings 22, verse 1, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jediah, daughter of Adihi of That's interesting, isn't it? Josiah was eight years old when he took the throne. That's something, isn't it? But as Josiah takes a look around, and he starts to see the sanctuary, and he starts to see the tabernacle, he starts to reform it, and he starts to build it back up. He hires a bunch of carpenters and masons, not Freemasons, but stonemasons. All right. He hires a bunch of workers and they start rebuilding this temple, patching it up. They start cleaning it out. And as they're cleaning it out, the high priest discovers something very interesting. You see, at one time, Jerusalem was being invaded and the high priest at that time didn't want the special laws of God to be destroyed or stolen. And so he hid them in a part of the sanctuary somewhere. And after that, it was long forgotten. And the laws of God had been lost. But as we find here in 2 Kings 22, verse 8, it says, In Hilkiah, the high priest said unto Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan, the scribe, came to the king and brought the king word again and said, The servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work and that have oversight over the house of the Lord. And Shaphan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes. As Josiah there read the book of the law, as he read the Ten Commandments, he realized where he was spiritually. He realized where the children of God were spiritually. And he was depressed. And he knew they needed to shape up a little bit. Could it be that in today's time, that the law of God is being hidden in plain sight? You know, the Ten Commandments are readily available for anybody to read. When I go into homes, very often they're hung up on the wall. But could it be that we have actually forgotten what the law of God really is? It's no wonder that in today's time, the law of God has been under such attack. Wouldn't you say the law of God has been under a major attack in the past few years? I know that it has. And it's no wonder why the law of God hasn't been under attack. If you look with me, go here to Romans, Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. It talks about the law here a little bit. Romans chapter 7 verse 12. Romans chapter 7 verse 12. We ask ourselves why the law of God is under attack. And here is why. Romans chapter 7 verse 12. Wherefore the law is holy. And the commandments holy and just and good. So according to the Bible. And as you read the law of God. Is the law of God good? What do you say? It is, right? It's holy. It's just and it's good. Now, look just a couple verses later with me at verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. So you have the law of God over here, and it's good, and it's pure, and it's righteous. And then if you go over here to who we are, we're the opposite of that, aren't we? We're carnal, we are filthy, and we are unrighteous. The complete opposite of the law of God. It's no wonder why we hate the law, right? Because the law points out the things that we should fix. I believe today that one of the biggest reasons that Christians hate the law is because something has got to be abolished. Either the law of God is going to be abolished and we hold on to our sins, or our sins are going to be abolished and we hold fast to the law. But so often, we would rather hold on to our sins and abolish the law of God than the opposite. I want to remind you today that there is no way that we can keep the law of God of our own strength, amen? Amen. There is no way that we can do it of our own power. It's impossible. But with Christ in our lives, we become more and more like him every day. Christians today have a really hard time, and they would argue with you if you said, we need to become at one with the law. If you tell many Christians today, I want to become at one with the law, they would say you're being legalistic. But if you tell the same Christians today, I want to become at one with God, they'd be fine with it. We all want to be like God, don't we? We want to be more and more like him. But if you line yourself up with the Ten Commandments to obey it as much as you can, you're going to be more like God. It's the same thing. It's a no wonder the law of God is under attack because we are the opposite of what the law of God really is. But the Bible gives us precious promises about this. Go to Psalms chapter 19, if you would. Psalms 19, Verse 7, Psalms 19 and verse 7. Psalms 19 verse 7 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple you ever had one of those days that just seems off you get up maybe a little bit late and you rush out the door and as you're going about your work you're just mentally cloudy and you're it, it, something's just off you ever had those days before i know that i have right the bible is very clear that if we consider ourselves to be a little bit simple-minded that if we study the bible and we study the law of god and we become more like christ that we're going to get smarter It's a blessing isn't it praise the lord for that but in in verse eight it says the statutes of the lord are right rejoicing the heart the commandment of the lord is pure enlightening the eyes so i think we've come to a point today that we've realized that the reason that the law of god is so hated today is because there are many who are unconverted but is the law of god abolished what do you think Let's take a look at this. I believe that God is in the business of abolishing things. But I don't think the Ten Commandments is one of those. Let's go to one classic verse on this subject. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in our Bibles a lot today. Matthew chapter 5. on the Sermon on the Mount here, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. <coughs> Matthew five seventeen says this, Think not that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to do what? To fulfill. A lot of people today, when you talk to them about the law of God, they will say, well, yes, Jesus fulfilled the law. Thus, we don't need to keep them anymore because he fulfilled them. But that's not what Jesus was meaning there, was it? If you are striving to keep the law of God, but you don't have Jesus in your life, are you going to be fulfilled as a person? You're not, are you? If you have Christ and you're trying to follow him, but you reject the law of God, are you going to have fulfillment in your life? You're not. But when we see Jesus and we see the law as synonymous, as they are hand in hand, then we have fulfillment. Amen. Christ didn't come to destroy the law. But that Christ did come to destroy some things. We're going to see some things that Christ abolished here right now. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10 with me. 2 Timothy 1, and verse 10. Christ did not abolish the law, but he did abolish death. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 10. 2 Timothy 1, verse 10 says this. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Amen. God did not abolish the commandments, but he abolished death. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Let's look at another one. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 26. Hebrews 9. And verse 26. Hebrews 9.26 says, For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Christ did not abolish the law, but he abolished death, and he is going to abolish sin. Amen. Amen. That's what Christ abolishes. Let's look at a couple more. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 15. Ephesians 2 and verse 15. Ephesians 2.15 says this. Having abolished in his flesh... The enmity. What's enmity? Separation. Separation. Hatred, right? Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to making himself of twain one new man, so making peace. We naturally, carnally, as human beings, we hate the law of God. In fact, we hate rules in general, don't we? But as we find the Ten Commandments, as we read them for what they are, we're going to find that the Ten Commandments aren't rules for your outward actions. But they're guidance for who you are personally and of yourself. I was talking to somebody just the other day who was very newly converted. He's been converted for about maybe a year and a half, two years now. And he told me something very interesting. He said, you know, if heaven wasn't promised... And God wasn't real, I would still keep the law of God because I'm just happier doing it that way. That's something, isn't it? If God wasn't real and heaven wasn't promised, keeping the Ten Commandments would still be the way to live. Amen? Because when you do that, you're happier, you have much more peace, you have contentment and fulfillment. But with God being real and heaven being promised, it's truly fulfilled. Amen. And praise the Lord for that. So now let's look at one more thing that God abolishes. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. God did not abolish the law, but he abolished death, sin, enmity, and he is going to abolish the devil. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. For as much then, as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that has the power of death, that is, the devil. Amen? When Christ comes to abolish and destroy something, you definitely know about it. And then in verse 15, And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage Christ delivers us from bondage amen and because Christ has delivered us from bondage he's delivered us from slavery this is why he gives us these rules or these guidelines the 10 commandments to keep us out of bondage let's take a look at just the first few verses here in Exodus chapter 20 of this law of God Exodus chapter 20 starting in verse 1 Exodus 20, starting in verse 1, Moses is there, and God is speaking these Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 1, this isn't something that Moses wrote, this is something that God said in his thundering voice. Exodus 21, and God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Before God gave the Israelites and us and all of his people today those guidelines for our happiness, he reminded us that his whole intention is to give us happiness. He said, the reason that I'm giving you these rules and guidelines is because I created you and I know what's best for you, and I know how you operate. And because I care so much about you, I freed you from slavery. Amen? He freed the Israelites from the whip of the egyptian but what has he freed us from today i know that god has freed me from slavery and from bondage what do you think has there been a time in your life where god has delivered you from something that you were in bondage to i know that he has and i believe sincerely that as long as god is abolishing slavery as long as god is getting people out of that slavery of sin that the law of god is still going to be valid And I believe as well that in order to keep us from sin, in order for sin to be wiped off the face of the earth and to stay wiped out in heaven, God's law will still be in effect. You know, it has been in the past few decades, it's been in the past century, really, that the law of God has really fallen under attack. If you look back just 100, 120 years ago, people had a respect for the law of God the Ten Commandments' validity was almost never in question. I'm going to give you just a couple quotes from some men of God here that prove this fact. Martin Luther declared, and I quote, He who pulls down the law of God pulls down the framework of human government and and society. I have never rejected the law. If you take a look at the Ten Commandments, you'll find that you could rule an entire government and society just off those ten rules. You know, we have hundreds if not thousands of rules that govern on us as Americans, right? You get speed limits, tax laws, all these different things. But God did everything in just ten. It's powerful, isn't it? Continuing on, Alexander Campbell, he was an Irish reformer that came from Ireland to the United States during the Great Reformation or the Great Awakening and this is what he called the Ten Commandments. He called them the Everlasting Ten. Dwight L. Moody stated, and I quote, Many may mock the lawgiver and mock Jesus who delivered us from the curse of the law, but no one can help, cannot help admitting that the commandments themselves are right. They are binding still today. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, in his book simply titled Sermons, page 221, said, and I quote, Christ did not take away the moral law contained in the Ten Commandments. He says that every part will remain upon mankind for all ages. John Calvin, leaders of the Presbyterian Church, said that the first coming of Christ has not freed us from the authority of God's law. The Baptist Church manual, Article 12, says the law of God is eternal and is an unchangeable rule of his heavenly government. Charles Spurgeon, the last one, The Prince of Preachers wrote, and I quote, The law of God is divine, holy, heavenly, perfect. Not one command too many and not one too few. He declared that its perfection is a proof of its divinity. All of the churches today that may claim that the Ten Commandments are done away with or that they are fulfilled and aren't valid for today's time, all of their church founders and their church leaders just a few decades ago said the complete opposite. Towards the time of the end, one of the things that's going to be attacked the most, and we're seeing it today, is God's law. It's the Ten Commandments. And people do it in a disguise of being legalistic. People do it in a a disguise of saying we care more about grace and loving people than the law of God. But brothers and sisters, I believe that God is a perfect example of love. And because God is a perfect example of love, he gave us a reason, he gave us rules to keep us in a way that we could accept his love and truly comprehend what his love is all about. It's not one thing to save someone from bondage, but we have to teach them how to stay out of bondage. Amen? It it really saddens me that time and time again, we repent of our sins and we dedicate ourselves to Christ. And just a short amount of time later, we're back in bondage. We're back in slavery. That's a really sad thing. I studied with a young man in Lansing who was just getting off of drugs and alcohol. He had just had a big wake-up moment in his life. And he was starting to come to church and he said, you know what, I'm going to follow the Lord wherever he goes. I just found out today that he got arrested for a DUI. Not just but a year later. He has relapsed on his commitment to God. And why is that? It could be a lot of reasons, but I believe that one of the reasons is people don't comprehend the true love of God. And if we truly comprehended the love of God and what it really was, we would want to be more like him and love him. And because we love him, that's why we keep his commandments. John fourteen fifteen is really simple. If you love me, being Christ, keep my commandments there's no legalism in that at all is there i love the lord and so i want to be more like him there's a story of a very successful lawyer and this lawyer was a scholar as well and he loved to read books about ancient philosophers and so he read many things about josephus the greek philosophies the romans all these different things And so finally, he was thinking one day and said, you know, I've read all these different things, but I've actually never read the Bible. He had refused to read the Bible for so many times. People had offered him, you know, haven't you read the Bible before? He'd say, no, I don't want to read that book of fables. But finally, he said, you know, I should probably at least read the Bible so I know what I'm talking about. So he called a friend, and in his conversation with his Christian friend, he said, you know, I want to read the Bible, but I don't want to read the Bible itself recommend to me a good book about the Bible and I'll read it. And his Christian friend said, I'm not going to recommend you a book about the Bible. You need to read it for itself. The lawyer got very frustrated and hung up the phone and said, I'm not going to do that. I want to read a book about the Bible. But he got to thinking some more. And I think the Holy Spirit was probably impressing his mind. And he said, you know, it would make sense to read the Bible, not a book about the Bible, because I've always been taught you should go back to the primary source. And so we did. He acquired a Bible and called his Christian friend and said, okay, I got a Bible, where should I begin? And his Christian friend said, well, why don't you start at the beginning? Start in Genesis. So he did. He read through Genesis and saw the fall of man. When he got to the flood, he chuckled a little bit and said, this is a funny story. This is just for kids. And as he read through Genesis and he saw the Israelites, he said, what stupidity. Then he got to Exodus and saw how they were freed from slavery and all these different things. And finally, he got to Exodus 20. Being a lawyer, this really interested him, right? Because he was a man of law. He had studied it for a long time. He knew all the ins and the outs and the loopholes. And as he studied the Ten Commandments, he called his friend and said, you know, I've been reading the moral law of Christianity, the Ten Commandments. And his friend said, well, what do you think of them? being a lawyer and all. And the lawyer said something very interesting. He said, you know, I decided to see if I could add something to these Ten Commandments that would make it more perfect. If I could add something that would make it more just effective. And as I thought and I thought and thought about what I could add to these Ten Commandments, I found that there was nothing. It covered it all. And then I began to think, is there something that I could take away from the Ten Commandments that would make it more concise, that would make it more applicable for today's time? And so I started thinking about that, and I started going over my books of law and all these different things about something that I could take away, and there's nothing that I could take away. Then he turned and looked at his friend and said, you know, the law of God is perfect. And his friend smiled and said, Now you know the God that I serve. The more and the more we learn about the law of God, the more we are in a relationship with our Savior, the more that we're going to find that we serve a loving God. That we serve a God that simply wants your happiness, your peace, and your affection. And over the next few weeks, as we go over these laws individually, one by one, we're going to find that when the Bible says, You shall not kill, It's not just talking about killing somebody physically, but it's talking about spiritually speaking. It's talking about hating your neighbor. When the Bible says that we should not bear false witness, it's not just talking about lying to somebody, but it's also talking about not being a hypocrite. When we talk about that we shouldn't have any other gods or graven images, we're going to see what it really meant about that. As we delve into these Ten Commandments for what they really are, I believe that we're not going to become closer to the law, but we're going to become closer to Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you that you love us and that you want us to have happiness, that you want us to be freed from bondage and continue to be freed from bondage. Lord, as we study this the next few weeks, we just ask that you would make yourself known that we could become more closer to you, and Father, that your character truly would be vindicated. This we pray in your name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.